At this time, I'd like to invite any of the children who would like to be dismissed to Children's Church to head on down. Uh, we're super thankful for uh, just the, the wonderful outpouring uh, of the, the help here at Carriage Lane, the number of volunteers that love the children and assist the parents in parenting. Uh, it is a, a tremendous gift uh, to, to each and every one of these families. Uh, but as we are, are letting them head that way, uh, we are in, uh, just starting off uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, Doug introduced us to it last week, and as I was preparing, I re- was reminded of, of my childhood, and I spent a, a large amount of time uh, in Boy Scouts. Uh, it's, it's changed a little bit since then, but uh, as I was a child growing up in Boy Scouts, one of the things that we were constantly put into our head was this motto, to be prepared. Uh, and so in any and every circumstance, we were to be prepared. And uh, many times in life that has served me well, but many times in life it has is, is kind of come back to haunt me. I think of uh, the other day I was out uh, looking at a tree that was kind of leaning funny near a, a shed in my backyard, and I thought, you know what, I should, I should probably cut that down. Uh, and so I got out there, and I got the chainsaw, and I, I started, you know, kind of looking at it, and I thought, you know, I've, I've seen this done. I've seen plenty of YouTube videos where people have done this. Uh, and, and as I got out there, and I, and I cut the little wedge in it, and I cut the other thing, I was like, this is going to fall exactly where I need it to. Uh, and as I, was, as I was cutting into the back side of it, uh, I, I didn't notice, but there was this breeze that came. And as it, as it came, it, it pushed the tree back, and it pinched my saw, and I, and I found myself looking at this, this tree leaning the opposite direction that I wanted it to. And I thought, this is, this is not a good thing. Well, as we are entering into uh, this study of Hebrews, I think there is a similar type feeling that's going on uh, in the early church. Uh, this letter uh, was written by an author that we're not necessarily sure of. We know that it's, it's Scripture. We know that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we are pretty certain that this was written to a group of Christians uh, who were living in Rome. Uh, and they're there, and they're facing some winds that are starting to shift in the culture. Uh, there are some ways in which uh, the, the freedoms that they may have enjoyed, some ways in which they used to live life, are starting to get a little unnerved. They're starting to get a little different. Uh, in that, there's a tendency for them to want to go back to, to former ways in which they used to live in, in Jewish history, uh, ways in which they would want to go back to maybe the sacrificial system. And so this letter is addressing many of those things. And as we look at our own culture Uh, We, many of us, are experiencing some of the similar, we're feeling the similar winds that are starting to shift in our culture. We're starting to look at how marriage is being redefined. We're looking at how uh, we are trying to relate to different individuals and their identities. And even in the church, we're starting to see denominations uh, who once uh, put their their feet firmly upon the word, starting to to try and figure out how to to remain fast. And even the PCA, the denomination that we're part of, of is, is wrestling through these things. And so as we look at this, this book, uh, there's a tremendous amount of help and encouragement for each one of us. And so uh, to, to do that, uh, the author of Hebrews takes and starts by looking at Christ. And he, that's the, his, his starting, his launching point is which uh, he wants to give a good understanding of who Christ is 
and, and, and then move out from there. And so as we're looking at it this morning, uh, Pastor Griffith uh, there pointed out last week that there are seven attributes that are, that are in the first three verses of, of Hebrews. Uh, he looked at the first two last week, uh, one of those being uh, looking at uh, that Christ is the inheritor, that everything that he's created, uh, he is the rightful heir of. Uh, he also is the creator. Uh, and so those are, those are the first two. And then uh, this morning what we're going to do is, is I'm going to try and group uh, these things into three large groups uh, or three main points. Uh, and we're going to be looking at who Christ is, what he is doing, and what he has done. And each, and each one of those major points will be looking at a sub-point or two, uh, looking at each one of those attributes. And so that's kind of the direction of where we're going. Uh, but as we look at that, we're going to be looking at Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 3. And some of you might be thinking, we started with two verses last week, and now we're just doing one verse. Uh, I promise that after this, things will speed up a little bit, and we're not planning to be here for 20 years. But um, after reading this verse, maybe you might want to. Uh, so let me, let me read if you'd like to follow along. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by, his, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So we're looking at a, a short verse, and as I uh, was preparing for this, uh, I started to, to read and I started to, to dive in, and as I started to look at the depth of this, I started to become overwhelmed at the reality of, of trying to communicate uh, some of these truths. I realized that as, as a created being, I'm going to try and use created words to describe uh, a being who is infinite and uh, who is far greater than I can ever comprehend. And so I, I'd like to start with a, with a warning that uh, my hope is not to limit your view of God, but to instead open your eyes to a greater view and that you will be able to meditate and to, to be better informed of how you can uh, to consider what Christ is and what he's done. And so the first uh, thing that we need to look at is we need to understand who Christ is. Uh, and the first sub-point underneath that is Jesus is the radiance of divine glory. Uh, if you know anything about me and uh, in my, in my complexion, uh, if, if I am to go outside and to enjoy any of the water sports or anything outside, uh, I have a, a very short window in which I freckle and then I turn into a lobster. Uh, so I have to be very aware of uh, the different UV indexes and all those different things, but some of you are nodding your heads and, and might relate. Uh, but as we, as we start to think of that UV index, we start to, to think about the times in which uh, maybe you were outside and you thought, well, it's overcast. Uh, the, the, the clouds are covering, and, and I, can, I can play outside. It's not a big deal. And as you're out there and as the, the day wears on, somebody gives that kind of look of like, ooh, that, that doesn't look good. And you start to understand, oh, I, I should have been better prepared for this. Well, in the same way as we start to consider the radiance of divine glory of Jesus, 
there's, there's a part in which we aren't going to be able to fully understand uh, His glory as it shines forth. It, it's hidden to us, but there are those days in which we're riding down the road or we, we look out and we see one of those clouds and it, and it parts open and we see these rays shooting forth and all of a sudden there is this, this glory that looks like it, it's radiating from the sun. Uh, there is this idea here uh, where in our minds we often like to, to relate the idea of radiate and reflect. And in this, there, the, the language is very precise, that this is a radiation or uh, this is a, a source of light or glory that is coming forth. If we think of the moon and we think of the sun, the moon puts forth a great amount of light, but it has no light in itself. It only reflects uh, the, the light of the sun. Well, the sun itself is, is the, the light, the source that is beaming forth. And as we look at those rays that go forth, we see John Calvin points out that the only way in which we are truly able to see the glory of the Father is through the glory of the Son. And as we think of the different uh, ways in which the Lord has walked uh, in this world, we are reminded of last week's scripture reading. As, as the Lord went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with the three disciples, we see that He's up there, and, and what happens? Uh, his face starts to shine like the sun. His, his clothes start to glow, and the disciples are, are a little unnerved, but then all of a sudden the voice of God comes forth, and they are brought to their knees. They are, they are humbled before. And so as we think of Jesus as the radiance of divine glory, we need to be reminded of who Jesus is, that he is that doorway that allows us to be able to see the glory of the Father. He represents it, and he shines it forth. And that brings us to our next subpoint, which Jesus is the exact representation of the Father's being. As we think of uh, this, and many of the scholars I read uh, talked about uh, the language here used in the, in the original Greek uh, would be more of one used to describe uh, the making of a coin. Uh, many of us have seen the different coins that we've passed through, and you know, there's many of them, quarters and all of that. Uh, some of the kids might be you know, grimacing that they might have to count those, but there's the, the idea that to, to strike a coin, you have a, a blank piece of metal, and then you have a, a die, and you put that die on top of that coin, and then as you strike it, there is an imprint. Uh, there is an exact representation of what was in that die. So there is that image, and then there's the image that's been imprinted on that coin. And so in that, you have two distinct separate things, but in it, they are the same thing. And again, this is very difficult for us to comprehend, but there is an idea here that uh, Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. He is of the same being. Uh, if you look in your um, your, your bulletin, there is a, an excerpt from the Westminster Confession of Faith that talks about how Jesus is uh, been, he is, he is man and yet he is still God. Uh, it, it describes him as being very God yet very man. He is yet one Christ. Uh, and the, another way that we put it is that he is 100% God and he is 100% man. In that uh, they are you know, in perfect uh, unity. Uh, in that he is, he is taken on flesh and that he has come to live among us. And so there is, again, a, a challenge for us to start to, to comprehend. There's an aspect in where we look at this and we say, well, well, how do we apply this to our lives? 
And so uh, to look at that, I think one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves as we start to look and ask who Christ is, is we have to ask, how do we view Jesus? In what way are we, are we leaning? Because if he is 100% God and he's 100% man, oftentimes we see ourselves leaning one direction versus the other. And I know as I prepared for this, many of the things that I started to think through is I started to realize the way in which uh, my culture has, has pushed into this. I also have considered the way in which the Christian culture has pushed into this. If you look at any storybook Bible, there is a representation of a man that we would call Jesus. If you look at children and say, hey, what does Jesus look like? Many will say, well, this is what he looks like and this is who he is. Well, there's a, there's a, a, a tremendous uh, issue that could come with that is there is only one aspect of Jesus in which we're able to view in that. And we are starting to look at him as more of a man. We, we start to lose sight of him as being the God-man. So there is a reality in which as we read uh, these different books and see these different pictures, but even as we see popular Christian TV shows that are coming out, that as these are being displayed and we start to see these representations, that there is only one side that's being represented. There is, a, there is an aspect in which we're not able to see the radiance of God's divine glory. And so we should take caution as we look at that. We are reminded in Scripture that, uh, that faith comes through hearing, not necessarily through seeing. And so we need to, to go and so that uh, go to the Word. And so uh, that brings us to our next application point of how can you grow in your understanding of God's glory? And the simple answer that we come back to multiple times uh, over and over again at this church is through the means of grace, through the, the simple reading of the word, through asking that the Spirit would, would pour himself out and reveal himself through the word, through prayer, through the sacraments, and through the word preached. And, and as we gather together, uh, there is a, a wonderful gift in which we can start to, to see uh, the, the facets of who Jesus is more clearly uh, through others who are in the word as well. And so there's a, a great aspect of of the, the joy of being able to see the Lord for more of who he is. Uh, so the next major point that we can look at is, what is he doing? Uh, in this one, there is, there's only one sub-point underneath. Uh, Jesus is the sustainer of his creation. Uh, he is sustaining everything by his spoken word. If we look at the scripture verse here, it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Another way in which that word universe could be translated is uh, by the word uh, everything or all. And so there is a, a kind of a limiting factor when we say universe. When we, when we think of universe, we think of something very large. We can think of the James Webb telescope that was, uh, we see pictures of, looks like every week now, and, and the, the expanses of the universe growing and growing and growing. Uh, but that really even limits uh, what, what we are comprehending because Jesus is in charge of, of everything. He's, he's holding it all together. So uh, he's holding together not only the, the distant planets, but he's holding together the smallest building blocks of, of what is happening here even as we meet this morning. He's, he's holding together time and everything that we're able to consider in that. And as I, as I wrestled through this, I realized more and more uh, how little I can understand this. As I am, uh, am a, a male, and one of the things that, that my family is oftentimes frustrated with is I, I am not a good multitasker. 
Uh, it is oftentimes hard for me to talk and stand up at the same time, and then if you add walking in that, it might even be more difficult. But as we look at Jesus, there is something truly amazing uh, that comes forth. If, if we think of Jesus walking, uh, one of the places that he walked was on water. Think about for a moment that you have a man who is 100% man, and yet he is sustaining everything around him, everything, in a way in which he can step foot out upon the water, and the molecules and everything rearrange in a way that he's able to, to stand firmly upon it. Not only that, he is able to ask one of his disciples to come out and to meet him. There is an aspect in which he is holding this together, not by his hands, not by some physical thing in which he's able to do it, but by his word. And there's, there's a great amount of mystery. There's a great amount of excitement. There's a great amount of glory that goes forth when we start to consider that Jesus as he was doing every miracle, as he was walking, as he was even hanging on the cross, he was sustaining everything that is in this world. And so with that, there is a certain amount of application that we can easily draw from that, is we need to ask ourselves, do you trust in Jesus, that Jesus is sustaining everything? And the, the simple reality is, it doesn't matter if, if we believe it or not, he truly is doing that. Uh, when we are in circumstances in life that are overwhelming, that are, that are a challenge, that, that bring in the, the, the darkness uh, and the sadness and the brokenness of this world, and we feel like there is, there is no way out, there is the reality that Jesus is sustaining. When we, when we look at the brokenness of, of our own lives and we're, we're frustrated at the ways in which we've fallen short, there's, there's a reality. Of, of how God is still sustaining and Jesus is holding these things together by his word. And so there is a, a great reminder and a great encouragement that as believers, there's hope that there's a purpose for everything that we're experiencing. Everything that we're going through uh, is, is bringing about uh, some purpose. It's bringing about God's perfect will. And so as we move along, our next point, uh, major point is, what has he done uh, and as we look at this, uh, we see that Jesus is, has purified his people of all their sins. Uh, when we look at this cosmic sacrifice that he poured forth uh, to be able to purify all of, of the believers who have believed in him, uh, there is again uh, some ideas in which we, we start to kind of wonder what that looks like. And as I was uh, listening to the news, a news program, uh, I was, I was, uh, they, they did a little mini-series on uh, the Fukushima nuclear p power plant and the disaster that happened a few years ago with uh, this this earthquake. Uh, in that earthquake, they they had a, a kind of a, a potential for a nuclear meltdown, and so they were faced with a couple decisions. And one of the decisions they made was to cool this down. We're going to have to pump seawater into this reactor. And as they did, uh, mm -hmm. they they cooled things off. They they kept things from from turning worse. But in that, they started to create uh, what was called radioactive water. Uh, and in that, uh, it was super heavy water. And I'm not the chemist, uh, but they, they apparently created uh, this, this compound called tritium. And while it, it, it is going forth, one of the things about it is there is no known way in which they can purify tritium out of water, that it remains in there. Uh, and there, there's no science, there's no, uh, there's no even theories of how to get this out. Uh, the hope is that they'll re-release it into the ocean and it'll eventually just 
dissipate and it won't become an issue. Well, as we look at our own lives, uh, there's, there's a far greater reality, a far more scary thing than releasing nuclear waste into the ocean, uh, is that we are filled with sin that we cannot get rid of, that we are uh, from birth sinners, uh, that we are going before a perfect and holy God uh, at some point in our lives, and we have no way in which to get rid of this sin ourselves. And this is where Christ comes in. This is the the great picture of the gospel, the great reminder of how uh, he is able to make purification for all of our sins. Uh, He is the one that goes forth, as we are reminded in the Old Testament uh, over and over again, the, the Israelite people would take sacrifices and they would offer them over and over again. They were bloody. They were killing all kinds of animals to try and, and, and appease uh, the, the God that they knew had certain requirements. And as we are living life, we see those same requirements. We see those same issues. And yet, uh, we are reminded uh, that through Christ's perfect work on dying on the cross, he was the final sacrifice. He was the one in which was able to make purification for all of our sins. And in doing that, uh, Jesus is also, our next sub-point is Jesus is ruling at the right hand of his Father. Uh, as we read uh, this, this verse, it says that uh, he sits down uh, at the right hand of the majesty on high. As we think of uh, the, the, the temple and as we think of the tabernacle, uh, in those descriptions, there is no seat for the priest. There is no place for them to go and rest because the work is never done. Uh, over and over again, these sacrifices had to be re-offered. They had to be, uh, things had to be maintained. The, the lamps had to be trimmed. They had to be filled with oil. Uh, the, 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 the continual intercession had to happen. Well, in this, Jesus is representing that he is set down. The work is finished When he was on the cross and he offered himself, his last words were, it is finished. And so as he sat down at the right hand of God, it was not that he was just signifying that he was finished, that he actually had done that work. And so he is there sitting at the right hand of God. And so uh, as we come to a close, uh, there are a few questions that we have to ask. Are you looking to Jesus as your Savior? As we look at these different things, uh, there are some true and and harsh realities that many of us have to face, or all of us have to face, is is that there is a God who is uh, the radiance, who shines forth so powerfully that the angels even tremble before him. That as, uh, as Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai and the glory of God passed before him, his face was so changed uh, that he had to wear a veil. Uh, the fact that he couldn't truly see God's glory because he would perish. As we, as we see that holiness, we also are confronted with our own sin. We're confronted with the need of a Savior. And so this morning, I'd ask that you would consider Are you aware of this holy God? Are you aware that there is a God who is going to judge everyone for what they have done? And if you are living outside of Jesus' perfect works, you will be judged for your works. But there is a great uh, opportunity. There is a free gift of grace that is offered to each one of us. And so I'd ask that you would cry out to the Lord and that you would pray and ask that the Lord would reveal himself to you. 
uh, but for us as Christians, for those who are putting your faith and trust in Jesus, uh, there is there's a warning here for us too. As we start to see who Christ is and we start to, to see all the things that he is, uh, we see that he is the inheritor, that he is inheriting, that we're co-heirs with Christ, that he has created everything, including us, that he uh, is the one, the radiance of the God's glory, that he's his exact representation Uh, that he is sustaining everything, uh, that he has purified the sins of his people, and that he is now sitting at the right hand of God, that there is nothing else for us to do, that his work is finished. And so I heard this uh, wonderful illustration that uh, as believers, uh, it's it's almost like we are, are floating out in the ocean, uh, we're not uh, living, we're, we're kind of that bloated uh, animal that maybe floated out into the water, and Jesus is, is the lifeguard, and, and he not only swims out uh, to save us, but he first revives us. He brings us forth into life, and once he awakes us, uh, he doesn't uh, revives us or brings us new life. He doesn't just say, look, there's the beach, swim back that way. He, he takes us and he grabs hold of us and he starts to swim back with us. And there's not a point in the gospel in which we can say, I don't need this lifeguard anymore. I can get there myself. It is a, a continual moment by moment reliance on the Lord. It is the relying on Jesus who is doing all of these things. He's sustaining us as we go. And so there is a great comfort that we can have as we, as we rest at the foot of the cross, as these burdens continue to come forth, that we can be reminded that that the, the perfect Savior is saving us and will save us, and to the end, we will, we will see his glory. And so uh, there is the, the final one uh, for us to consider is, how are you preparing for what lies ahead? As I mentioned at the beginning, there is uh, some winds that are shifting in our culture. There is a great anxiety in many of us as we look at our children, as we look at grandchildren, as we look at future generations, and we wonder, uh, what, what is it going to be here for them? What will they be able to rest in? How will they be able to function? Uh, what will we be able to do in the next 10 years, five years? Will we be able to have pulpits in which we can proclaim the word of God clearly without having some form of pers- persecution come in? And so there is a great encouragement here that as we look to Christ, we can understand that the next step is okay, that we can understand that as we move forward, the Lord will sustain us, that he is in control of all, that he is the exact representation of the Father, that he's holding everything together, and that everything is being done for a purpose. And so we can take great comfort in that, but we can also even be emboldened. We can go forth and we can share the gospel more clearly. We can, we can go and witness to our friends. We can fill our children with the word of God. We can encourage them. We can encourage our spouses. We can look to the future with, with optimism because we know that at some point, Jesus will rise from that seat and he will be sent back to judge this world. And everything that is injustice that has happened, everything that we feel like has gone wrong, that doesn't, we don't feel like has been seen, has been seen, and it will be judged accordingly. And in doing so, there'll be a great moment in which we all will bend our knee and we all give praise to our Savior. And so with that, let me close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for who he is. We thank you for what he has done, and we thank you for what he is doing. We thank you that even now, as we pray, that the Spirit is moving, 
is, and that your son is interceding for us. So Lord, we pray that you would be with your people. We pray that we would leave encouraged that as we consider more uh, of, of who you are, Lord, I, I feel as though I have only begun to scratch the surface. Lord, I pray that your people would, would dig into your word more, that they would spend time with one another, encouraging each other to consider your attributes more, that they would invest more into reading your word and being uh, in, in, in fellowship with each other. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself more clearly. And Lord, I pray that you would send a great awakening, a great revival to this church and to this land. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. If you would please stand, let us sing a hymn in response to God's word.